And now we're going to do our first ever Just Watch Us chat, um, which I'm very excited about. Um, and as you guys know, this chat is with Sean Williamson. I'm going to give a little quick bio of Sean. I'm sure most of you already know who he is. He needs no introduction, but um, he has over 25 years of experience um, as a producer. Uh, he was actually born in Vancouver, born and raised. His first uh, thing is, uh, that he has on his bio is that he was a stage manager at the Arts Club when he first started out, and then grew in the industry itself to become uh, the producer that he is today. He founded, as a lot of you know, in 2001, Bright Light Pictures, which has become probably the preeminent production company in the province. Um, and if you look at his, his IMDb, he has 231 producing credits, uh, which is pretty impressive. Um, but the most impressive part is his very first credit was on Lamb Chop's Play Along. So <laughs> you're not, I grew up at that show, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> uh, but um, all the way from Lamb Chop's to uh, right now, he's producing uh, The Good Doctor, which uh, was just uh, announced that it's the most watched drama in the world. So, and that's shot right here, and uh, there's an episode right now being directed by one of our members. Uh, and Sean is the producer of it. So, come on up, Sean, and we're going to talk about uh, how to help you. Thank you. Uh, let's try this. Do we need a mic? Uh, well, we have a camera, so hopefully okay. this will help the camera. Yeah. Kendra, you? told me you were going to record this. It might edit what I talk about. Yeah. In regards to the studio, is it good? Sure. Yeah, anytime uh, we have a, we have Ryan, he's incredible, so he can take out anything that... It, it just comes out of how honest you want me to be about Hollywood. <laughs> be very honest and we'll let Very honest. Yeah. The, this audience wants you to be honest, so then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll bleep out the parts and cut out the parts that uh, can't leave this room. And so um, I'm going to be asking some questions and chatting with Sean, but also we'll, we'll ask you guys to ask some questions in a little bit. Uh, I had one small question, which I've always been curious about, is did you ever want to direct yourself? God, no. <laughs> no I had no talent at all. And it's, it's what I learned in theater a million years ago. So I started as an apprentice at the Arts Club, and we were taught the only three things that matter were directors, actors, and the script. And we're there to support all that. Nothing else matters. So. And if you have, you can have a black room, or one of my favorite movies, and we make everybody watch at Bright Light, is My Dinner with Andre. It's two guys having dinner. Nothing really happens, but it's compelling, and it's great, and it's, and it, there's nothing blowing up, and not, there's no car chases, or not that that isn't awesome. But, the, um, but it's just about telling a good story. And that what I do is as little as possible. And we are there just to support the, those three creative pieces. If one of them fails, the show will fail. So it's, no, I, and I, I recognize I can't write, I can't act, I can't direct, I have no desire. And I became a member of the Directors Guild of America as a director only because I did a second unit thing in order to get residuals. That was it. And the, um, but I have no desire whatsoever to direct. Awesome. Uh, well, that's, I've always wanted to know, so that's very cool. And so you now produce uh, both TV and movies and MOWs you do, uh, through Bright Light as well. I kind of want to talk about each of those separately because they each have probably a different path for how um, directors get involved. Um, but why don't we talk about uh, features first. Um, when a feature is kind of first born or kind of first comes into your world, does it usually have a director attached or is it um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't? What's kind of when you, 
when you when a feature is kind of coming into your world, how is the director first um, attaching to that? There's no normal. Yeah. So there, uh, Canadian, Canadian or non-Canadian? Let's do both. Non-Canadian, the Americans come with somebody usually. So in those cases, we're just told who is going to direct, and we work with them. <laughs> the um, International treaties, we work with locals at times, and we go and shoot in other areas, or shoot like 50 Dead Men Walking, we shot in Belfast with a Canadian director. And so we do a, you know, we've done that, we brought non-Canadian directors here on Canadian content shows that we've done, like White Noise, where a British director came in. And um, so it's, it's incredibly fluid. Yeah. But with our own features, and there are not tons of them, the last thing we did that got into Sundance was a thing called Summer of 84, that had Canadian directors out of Quebec. And it was a four-person team, three-person three team. And um, so RKSS directed that, and so they, we attached them to the script. And so we had the script first that we found at a Blacklist event in LA, and that, uh, and then we attached them, and they're now attached to another project we're doing. So it's, it, it's incredibly fluid. Yeah, just, and so in that particular case, uh, you had a script that you were looking for a director what was the process? You're, you were looking for something specific, I assume, and, and how did you try and find that? We were looking for somebody that would draw talent and would and money and be exciting creatively for the, the financiers we were talking to. So the project had been tracked already by various financiers, so we, were, we already had interest before we had directors. So as we looked at directors, we would pitch different people to this, the various financiers and see who garnered interest from them. Ooh, mood lighting. Um, <laughs> uh, very cool. And so I assume um, that's one big part of it, especially in indie features, is can they draw talent? So can you speak to what that means? That, that comes down to how you guys meet in a room with actors. And because it, it really comes down to who, who will want to work with you creatively. And will the actors feel confident putting their career in your hands to move forward? And that's and then from that, if you can attract the the, the talent and the and the money, that's where the sales part of what it was interesting watching the pitch because there's a big piece of that that is really about you guys selling yourself to the actors, and it isn't so much about the producers; it's about the financiers more than that. And so you've probably seen a lot of directors attempt that. What are the things that you've seen work really well, or that you were like, wow, that really that really got that actor, or what are some of the things you've seen directors do that scared, act scared actors away? It's confidence. So knowing that you have a voice for the film, and even if it alters, it's something that you start called Lamb Chop, and one of the things <laughs> that the producer that I worked for, that my first sort of mentor in the film world, taught me was make sure that people buying your show know what they're buying. So, in, and with a director, it's this very similar thing. It's having a vision that's very direct and concise, and knowing how you see the film, and it can be saying it's this film meets this film meets this film, so that you have a something that you can convince both financiers and actors of with regards to your vision, so that you know this is where I want it to go, and so they feel that, because they're gonna sit and put themselves creatively in your hands, it's what do they, what's gonna make them comfortable? So you're not taking them in a place they're not comfortable. We had, on 50 Dead Men Walking, our initial star walked off the film, but in prep. And not, he didn't tell us he was doing it. He just flew home for a weekend and never came back. <laughs> and we ended up with Jim Sturgis, who was perfect. But it was just one of those moments where he... And it wasn't that he didn't have confidence in the filmmaker. It's that he didn't think that he was right for that film. So as soon as 
he or she or whoever your stars are become unconvinced that it's the right show, they should leave. So the um, we had a change on a movie we did called Fifty Fifty, and um, James McAvoy was our first star, and then he left a week in, only because he had a family emergency he had to leave for, and so Joseph Gordon-Levitt came in, and he it, it inadvertently made the film better. Not that James McAvoy wasn't awesome, but that he was a Scottish actor playing an American. And as soon as he had play, an American playing an American, one of the things he did when he walked through the sets with us before he signed on was said, like, there's no sports memorabilia here, and there's nothing here that says we're in Seattle. And McAvoy never picked up on that. Right. And so it was something that you go, it, not that he wasn't brilliant, it was just small tonal things that can be different as an actor. So it's really, it comes down to, but he had to come up, and the filmmakers on that had to make him comfortable working with um, with them so that uh, he, when he signed on last minute once we've been shooting, so the, the pitching to a, an actor happens at every level. Right. And I, uh, I've definitely been part of pitching for actors, but also when you're pitching to producers and financiers, it's, it's a lot of the same thing, showing confidence. And also sometimes presenting visuals and other types of aids. Have you ever used that type of stuff, other, other elements other than just Personality? <laughs> no, totally. Yeah, they do. They'll do pitch packages and like visual guides so that they can see sort of tonally where you're going. So every anything because it is a visual media we're all in. So it's just anything that shows them what your intention is creatively is something that will make them more likely to sign on. It's one thing if you're James Cameron walking in, they're going to finance you anyway. <laughs> if you're not and you're coming in, there's probably only. 50 directors in the world who will be financed just because of their name. Beyond that, we're all pitching. And so we are creating things as we pitch shows, our location packages and things, so to, or, or um, mood boards and things that you can send down, or ripomatics or short films that you've shot, the reverse of Edward or whatever, that, yeah. <laughs> where you, you create a short film in order to sell your project. So anything like that helps. So yeah, absolutely, visual media is the, probably, is as important often as your verbal pitch. And have you ever worked with a first-time feature director, like someone who hadn't done feature length before? Yeah, like James Gunn on Slither. Wow. So he did Slither's okay. one of my favorite movies. So, so. <laughs> but I mean, it, it. So yeah, we've done tons of that. And so, so hiring him. Well, I didn't hire him. Sure, but the uh, in the times you've worked with a, a first-time director, what what would you say are the obstacles that they come up against, and how can they get around that? Depends on their back. James had, was a big writer. In the industry, and had Slither was a script that he had wanted. This is what I like. No, no, no. This is great. Everyone move. It's like motion activated. <laughs> the uh, whole audience is just going to do the wave the whole time. Yeah. On Slither, uh, James had written. It's the only time I've ever shot a film where we shot the production white draft. There wasn't a single revision that came out. So, but he had written that script years before and hung on to it as the film he wanted to direct as his first film. And uh, so, as he. Uh, he, so he had to get to the point where the studios wanted him to direct, and because that was his first time film was twenty six million dollars, so it wasn't tiny, and it was very ambitious, and it was a huge undertaking as a first time guy. But he'd been on set as a writer for years, and he knew the industry, and he he knew how to talk the talk. But it was his confidence with Gold Circle financed the film with Universal, and we were just hired to make it. So I wasn't involved in hiring him, but sat making the film with him daily, and. Though these were the stories as to how he got it done, but he stuck by his, he was like, I'm not giving the script up, I know it's good, I want to get this made, and if it's going to get made, I'm going to direct it. So he just held true to his own vision. And you, something you said, I think, which is 
which is really important, is he kind of waited to the point where he knew that people would then trust him to some degree for something that big. Um, something a lot of, I knew I made this mistake early on, a lot of filmmakers write a $26 million movie when they've made nothing, expecting that they'll be able to make that jump instead of writing a $1 million movie at the beginning, because it's more likely that you'll be able to get attached to something smaller as your first one than a $30 million one as your first one. But he kind of had a lot of successes, I guess, in other bigger stuff to the point where... Yeah, he made them all lots of money writing Scooby-Doo. <laughs> so they were prepared to invest. And the, the pitch was good. He had a good visual idea. He, he was very clear in describing what his visual agenda was creatively, and he, he did it. And so I'd, I would think, um, I know you kind of act probably more as an overseer for a lot of the MOWs that, that um, your company creates, but I would imagine in a lot of cases there, there's probably more emerging directors in that type of role because of the lower budgets, is that true? The Hallmark type yeah. things? Y yes, but there's also people that live in that world very successfully. So it's still storytelling, and but it's, e it's an easier barrier to get through as a newer director. But it's not, uh, it's not an area you have to live in, and it's one that you can get stuck in as well. Yeah. So it's, but storytelling, storytelling. If you make two amazing Hallmark movies, you can move into whatever. Once you've told, you talked about short films a bit. The biggest thing, well, you talk about Gary Hawes, who's directing the next episode of Good Doctor. Gary's our, one of our first ADs, and he's made a small feature, and he's made three f shorts. Yeah. But he had to, he had to pitch ABC, he had to pitch Sony, he had to get through all the producers first, and we we're massively supportive of Gary directing. And, but he had work he could show people. If you don't have a short film, then there's no point in even trying. So you need something to show that you can tell a story. So it's, you, need, you need to step into something. Hallmark is awesome, but you probably need a short film to get a Hallmark movie. So, and there's nothing wrong with, we, we have a division that just makes 20 or 30 of those a year. Yeah. We love Hallmark movies. Yeah, well I think one of the things like you're saying, it, it's an incredible, I did, my first two movies were movies of the week, and it's a thing that is incredible. You go from no one wanting to hire you to suddenly now you're getting to make something that's a few million bucks, and that's pretty incredible. But then no one wants to hire you to do something that isn't that. And so uh, it can, in some ways, become difficult to escape because it's a great job, but at the same time, if you're trying to do something that isn't that, it's all that people see that you can do, and something that I've noticed in the same way that you need to create something to get that first MOW job, you often need to create something to get out of it, to show that now someone's paid me to do $2 million movies, but what I really want to be doing is this. You often sometimes need to create something that proves you can do whatever that other genre is or whatever that other medium is um, that isn't like a Hallmark style and tone, just to show that you've got that voice too, because people can put you in boxes even though you know you have the talent. It's, it's Hollywood ego. so. ABC primetime don't necessarily want Hallmark, but Hallmark is massively successful. And the reality is, you just need to, if you can tell a story, then you can shoot anything. So, it, and I looked at the different genres, and there's something to be said for that, but there's all, it's all storytelling, whether it's action or horror or drama or comedy or half hour. So, the, um, it, it, I, I wouldn't be worried about doing any specific genre. Just tell stories, and then take the stories, and then show the studios that you can tell stories, and work with a camera, and run a crew, and work to budget things. Although, that the biggest thing we run into are people coming to us with scripts saying, "I can make this movie for a million bucks." It's like I don't want to make a movie for a million bucks. I want to make a good movie. <laughs> and if the movie is a million bucks and we can finance it, awesome. 
but we can finance a movie much more easily if it's $20 million and it's awesome than if it's a million dollars in average. So, and that's a, a Canadian mentality of, look, it's all in one location and there's some great action. And my friends will come out and they blow it up. And it's like, nobody can make a good story, or write a good script. And that's what matters that most. story matters. So something you just touched on, which is something I wanted to talk a lot about is your experience working with directors from Canada versus your experience working with directors from uh, the US or other countries. And sort of, obviously every director is very different. Um, but in in one experience I had recently, I was crewing up on a show where we're crewing up department heads from both countries. And something I noticed was people from Canada that I'd worked with that were incredible talents that had been working for 20 years, when it came to pitching themselves to, to kind of work on this bigger budget movie, had none of those skill sets because they had never really had to develop them because there was always a job to take if they needed it. And so they, they weren't very good at presenting themselves versus the um, American department heads that were presenting themselves were just killer at pitching and ended up basically all of our department heads came from the US because of, not because of them having talent, more talent than the other, but their, their way of kind of getting the job and presenting it. I'm just curious, you've worked with a lot of directors of all different scales. Has, has there been something you've noticed in, in the virtues and, and maybe weaknesses of Canadian directors or, vers or versus American or anything in that subject? There's no, uh, there, well, there's a few things there. Yeah, they, let's, um, let's talk about all of the, them. <laughs> on w one of the series we're doing now, there was a perception that, and we've hired a number of Canadian directors on it, but nobody wanted to look Canadian, to quote the studio. And what they, what they read as Canadian is the littlest hobo. And <laughs> so, and that is what they perceive as, or you mentioned CBC and things, that there's some spectacular work coming out of the CBC there's also some stuff that isn't necessarily U.S. network quality product. And so every network executive is concerned about keeping their job. So if they think, oh, we're going to save a bit of money by hiring a Canadian, but it's going to jeopardize their position, you're not going to get the job. So you don't, the thing that we try to always is don't, it's not about Canadian or not. It's just good or not. Because there's no difference, frankly, from any of the directors here than anywhere in the rest of the world. We can all tell stories. It's the same. We've worked with French. We've worked with a very crazy German director a lot. And um, the uh, uh, it's it doesn't matter where you were from or what system you went through. It's can you use a camera to tell a story? And that's all that really matters. The lack of confidence comes from people pitching. I think we can do it inexpensively, or I can shoot fast, or I can find a way to make this look great at a budget. That's good, but the, the studios really don't care about that. They, they want, want to be good. They want good. They don't care about, you know, it was fast or inexpensive or whatever. They want it safe and they want it good. And if if we continue to pitch, it's really cheap, then they, they don't care about cheap. Yeah, that was a big part of this campaign when we did research. Uh, it was talking about it, our virtue isn't that we're the cheaper choice. It's that we're an incredible choice that, that is in our work. Check out the amazing stuff that we've done. And that came from straight from the mouths of a lot of executives that said exactly that. Um, so for, in the TV world, we probably have a lot of directors that have either done MOWs or done shorts or done commercials. Um, and one of the barriers that, that we're looking, they're looking to kind of break through is getting into episodic t television from already having done a Hallmark movie and stuff. Is there any, I would imagine that unlike the movies on the TV side, 
I would imagine, because I've been a producing director, that especially in second and third seasons, you're more involved in the hiring of directors. Is that true? Or is it still all from the network? It, it's ultimately all from the network and studio. But the first thing you have to do is the first year, forget it. They're going to go with people they know, that have big resumes, that tick all the boxes. But the second season, it can start. Third season on, you've got a good chance of getting in. Once you've done one or two, you're on the list. So it's just about getting on that list. I had to go and when I got my first network producing job, I had to go down and sort of kiss the ring of the president of the studio that I was meeting with. And one of the executives who I knew well said, I said, I don't know what to do in this, like what to talk to him about. And she said, as quickly as you can, talk about some really important actor you've worked with. It's like, well, I just produced the movie that Robert Redford directed. She said, great, talk about him. And he immediately, so I, I, he sort of was asking me about my process and how I work, and I said, well, on the movie I just finished, and he goes, oh, what was that? And I said, oh, Robert Redford directed. He goes, oh, I know Bob. And then he talked for the next half hour, and then I got the job. Yeah. So it's just, it's like, okay, cool. And so, but that was I showing you, him you were in the club, basically. But you need to be in the club, and you need to, so once you've done one, whether it's a season three thing, or you know, a Warner Brothers on season eight of Arrow or whatever, it's like, get those things so that the studio executives know that another studio executive has approved you. And once you get on those lists, then it doesn't matter if you're Canadian or French or wherever. Like, it, it truly doesn't matter. It just, you become more hireable because one person has gone out on the limb and hired you. And so playing the game and navigating Hollywood is the part that we don't know how to do here very well. And then when we first talked about this, this is what I thought when we talked about it, is that this is what we as Canadians don't do well enough, is know that how Hollywood works and as much as funny the lamp shot was, it got me my first 01 working in the States. I was 24, qualified as an extraordinary alien, and that was a real stretch. And the, um, but it got me working down there, and through the people I was working with then, it, it taught me how Hollywood works, it, accidentally, because I didn't really know. And once you know that, then you can navigate it. But you need to be down there. These trips down to LA, go on these trips. Sit in front of the people, leave them a website that works with links, or this thing is awesome. And just so they know you can tell stories. And that it doesn't matter if it was action or comedy or whatever. The hardest thing really is the whether your like, HBO cable is tough. And that's probably the hardest thing to get into the huge Apple and HBO high, high end, over $15 million an episode stuff. The uh, half hour is really hard to get into because so little of it is done here. So when we started a million years ago on half hour stuff, it was like, there was none of that here. And the, um, uh, so now there's, that we're doing Julie and the Phantoms, which is a half hour musical. We're looking for directors who know and musicals. And there are very, very, Kenny Ortega is the producing director effectively on that. Kenny is the top guy in the world really for musical stuff with kids and things. And it's, it's finding people that will appeal to him. So while he's here doing this show, it's worth finding people who want to do half hour music, because that show, it's unlikely that show will get canceled after one season, just because of him. So it's who else has some of that, that can talk about music, and he comes out of musical theater, and he and I bonded because of theater. And so we've now done multiple shows together, and it's, they just want to know that they're comfortable handing their project to you, because you know that genre. So half hours are hard. One hour action stuff, like all the Warner Brothers stuff and things that shoot here, the WB stuff, is much easier to get into after the first season because there's so much of it here. We, we've done so much action and people that have come up as ADs and on set and whatever capacity, stunts, ADs, whatever, know that world. 
And you can shoot it as well or better, as you know, than many of the people that come up. So, you know, it's like Gary on Good Doctor. One hour dramas are incredibly rare here. There's Good Doctor and a million little things now. I think prior to that, there weren't many network one hour dramas here. So we want more of that stuff, because that's, that's really, I, from my perspective, it's fun to go blow, blow things up and do arrow, but I don't want to be on set at 5 a.m. So at Good Doctor, we go home typically at 7 on a Friday night, and we shoot eight, 90 episodes, and eight of them are usually on stage. And so for me at my age, it's like, this is perfect. And you know, Firefly Lane, one of our other shows that has three, I think, three of our directors, three of our five blocks are locals. And so it is happening. That's a season one show. And Netflix, it was a mandate. We need to fire, find local directors. Now they wanted women and diversity, which is something that is now a huge thing. And so it's, you know, it's, that's an advantage too to people here because we have all kinds of diversity and talent here. And so it's leveraging these things as well into you know, getting through the door. But anybody who can tell a story will get in the door. They want to hire Canadians. That's the other message that I hear sometimes when I talk to Rob about permits and things. It's like, why can't they? It's like, the Americans are not trying to not hire us. They want to. They're not traveling you up. They get a tax credit on you. There's always, they can go DGC as opposed to DGA. There's tons of benefits, but they won't do it at risk of their job. And so you have to just remember that, that at the end of the day, the executives are concerned about themselves. Yeah. And the quality of the show, of course, but as soon as we can convince them that we're as awesome as anybody, they'll hire all of you. And like you said, one of the hard things about them is they're not here. <laughs> they're, most of them, if not all of them, are in LA. And so tell me, I don't know if there's any elements that would be helpful to hear, but I did the same thing as you, got an 01, went down to LA, knocked on every door I could. A lot of the directors that we have that have had recent successes did the same thing. I'm curious to hear about you know, how Gary got into those doors. We have other directors like Shannon Coley who went down to LA for months and months and months, you know, banging on doors with her short film and eventually um, got onto Magicians. And But when you went down your first time to LA, what was it like trying to go from being a Canadian to, uh, obviously it was probably a different time and you weren't becoming a director, but were there any lessons from the time that you went down to how you kind of got people to know who you were and, and that type of thing in LA? Well. Yeah, the um, uh, navigating Hollywood's changing, and it used. You talked about people getting pigeonholed into Hallmark or whatever. TV is the new feature, so now there is no more. Shit. It used to be features and TV, or you just do TV, or you just. But no, there's none of that anymore, really, and because there's better TV on more often than there is indie, and the indie feature world is brutal and very very difficult. So, TV is sort of the new feature world, especially with things like Mindhunter and and things like that level on Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and things. The, um, uh, but for me, I went down to do one specific show that was a Canadian content show shooting there. And that got me going back and forth. So I was forced into Hollywood kind of by accident. The, the first thing that, that got us truly into Hollywood was making white noise that made Universal a shitload of money. And so as soon as, yeah, <laughs> as soon as you make a movie that you own and that you developed, and then the studios recognize they, they can find something that we can sell. And that also then got us agents and people would take our phone calls. Because that was one of the other things that, like not just to get an agent, but to get past the assistant, even as a quasi-established Vancouver producer, nobody cares. 
And they still don't care if you're a new producer here. If they, because the assistant is IMDBing you while you're calling. And so if you don't have credits, so they might look at my credits, and if the first you know, 15 of them are not shows they like, or what, then I'm not getting to the agent, probably. But now my agent will get me to the agent if I need to do yeah. that. So it's, your agents are incredibly important about, you know, as you do that, Canadian or US, wherever you're repped, that will get you in the door, and they should get, the, uh, get you into everywhere, at least for a meeting and a coffee. The, um, if you don't have an agent, you still, people will take coffees. They'll go and say, you have to reach out to say, I want to come and take five minutes and just pick your brain about how I can get you to look at what we do up here. And, and everybody wants to help and they want to have their ego appeal to. And so every studio and every network will take meetings with you if you reach out in the right way. Yeah, I would say, and if you have something to show. A lot of the time, I think a lot of people and directors in BC have a, hard time realizing that basically the people that hire directors in BC are in LA and so a lot of to get hired here you have to go down there but then it's how do you go down there and how do you get in those rooms one of the things that can really help is, a, is something you've just made you've just made a direct a DGC award short award uh, you've just got 40 30 grand to go make that and it's something you can get into rooms down there or someone you know who knows them can send it to them and they like it and they'll take a coffee with you and now you know one person and from that person they might recommend that you check out someone else and so having work to show is really helpful. Well, thank you so much, Sean. This has been incredible. Uh, inaugural Just Watch Us chat. So thank you, everybody. Um, and uh, we have a Just Watch Us t-shirt for you. Uh, and we have a DGC water bottle for you. Um, that is very rare. So uh, everyone's going to be a... And a half. Let me show this off. Oh, they look cool. There you go. Check that out. Huh? Ooh. So come do a talk. <laughs> you get free stuff. So thank you, Sean. Yeah. And uh, please eat the food and the wine in the back. Thank you, everyone.